What does it mean to be a data-driven organization and how do we get there? We're live in Brooklyn, New York at the site of the Formula E race with Tiger Tyagarajan, who is the CEO of Genpak and a sponsor of the Envisioned Virgin Racing team. What does it mean to be a data-driven organization? You work backwards from the outcome and then you say, in order to deliver that outcome, what are the various decisions that are being taken every second? So let me take that to the business world. If you're lending to a business and I'm a bank, then I wanna make sure that I lend to the best customers at the best prices and I win continuously versus com competitors and I delight the customer. So which means I wanna do it fast, I wanna do it quick, I wanna take the least risk, I wanna reduce losses, I wanna get the maximum price. You keep working backwards, that's built on a lot of decisions that are being taken, which is a combination of prediction and judgment. More and more, machines are getting very good at prediction, which means you have to have the data platform aligned. Where is it all gonna come from? They all come in different formats. How do you bring that together? Some of it is real time. I'll give you one example in the commercial lending space. Typically when people lend, they look at FICO scores, credit scores of, of all of us. Once you finish the lending, and a year later, you're still a customer and you're repaying whatever you've borrowed, and you enter a 30-day default, you've not paid your bill. Uh, you get a call from someone in the bank. They look at the profile of the customer and they say, oh, the person's credit rating is X. Guess what that data is? It's a year-old data, which is completely useless. In reality, businesses should be finding a way to get credit data every day about a person and then decide in the call with me what to do with me based on my credit, credit today's situation, not yesterday's situation. What are the largest challenges that you see your clients facing when it comes to setting up the right problems to be solved with data? The real problem is identifying the big problems to solve. So there are three or four situations that they end up in. One, a lot of them want to boil the ocean. I want to solve everything. That doesn't work. The second is, I want to solve the easiest thing. It doesn't generate much value, in which case, what's the point? And uh, companies lose attention, people, people lose traction. The best opportunity is to really look at a set of real problems that are worth solving, identify the cost versus the benefit, and then pick very few, lesser the better to begin with. Because then you can drive change, you can bring the data together, you can get traction in the organization. And when you declare victory, you actually have delivered enough impact for everyone to feel excited and get to the next journey. So there's an organizational maturity dimension to this as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. A yeah. company needs to gain experience with these types of problems. Yes, yes. And that experience also helps in one other thing which becomes a big obstacle in all of these, which is, let's go back to the decision-making uh, framework that I laid out. We humans love making decisions. I'm the expert. So I am the guy who makes the decision. You're gonna take that away and take parts of it, not all of it, parts of it to a machine? No. So I'm gonna resist that change until my last day at work. How do you drive me to change my behavior to actually allow me to give up that machine-driven prediction in order for my job to actually become better? Because now I can use all my time and judgment. Because let's go back to the race. The engineering team is feeding, hey, driver, you should do this, Sam, do this. Ultimately, the decision is taken by Sam. Sam decides what he wants to do on the racetrack. That never goes away from the driver. Same here, that shouldn't go away from the human. As we finish up, what advice do you have for organizations to make this transition to becoming 
data-driven organizations with all of the change issues that you were just describing? Yeah, I'll start by saying a belief that we have to change has to come from the top. Uh, a belief that we have to use data to drive prediction in order to get better at serving our customers, serving our employees, and serving our shareholders and stakeholders and investors. Once that gets driven down, then identifying the initial uh, waves of, call them projects and initiatives. But the second thing, so all that is top down. But the second thing is how do you get the troops and excitement in the troops? Because everyone has to be engaged and let them percolate ideas. And the third is they all need to get engaged in retraining and reskilling. Understand the domain and context, understand the data. They must be able to speak the same language, which is a continuous reskilling program. Tiger, we spoke earlier about why it's important for companies to become a data-driven organization. What are some of the challenges that companies face? I'll start by saying that you have the traditional way businesses have run, and they've run very successfully. That is the single biggest challenge that you start with. Because the moment you say, we're going to use data to take decisions, you are going against what has been successful so far. So that's one. And the second is, what's going to happen to me? I am the person who used to take these decisions. I am the expert. People come to me. And you're saying, it's some data that's going to do it? What is that? And if I have power, then I prevent that from happening. I challenge that. I prevent change from happening. So that's the biggest thing, the biggest challenge. Okay, so when companies interfere with what I think is actually the natural life cycle of technology adoption, which is technology moves forward, the implications are they will be disrupted. Yes. So what is the antidote to that? What should companies do to not fall into that trap? So it starts with leadership that builds a vision that creates the excitement as well as the, I'm going to call it fear of being left behind, but the excitement of going ahead, uh, of leveraging data, building, using it for decisions and science and so on, and cascading that across a core group in the company so that people start, the second thing is making it very positive. If the discussion is, it's all negative, that it's all going to be about your job, my job, then it becomes a negative. It has to be a positive thing. I'm going to capture more market. I'm going to become bigger. You're going to become bigger. There are going to be more of you. Then that creates a positive momentum. So you need to establish some type of positive, set of positive goals, but at the same time identify a core group of people that you can take on board with you. Right, right. As, as any change initiative in large enterprises, boiling the ocean doesn't get you anywhere. So maybe set the vision at the broad level, create the excitement at the broad level, and then pick the one or two places where you start driving that, and the way you pick those are maximum impact. Leaders who are bought in, leaders who are champions, or leaders who are influencers of other people. Oh, John got into this and John is driving this? I must do something, because I know John is kind of the favorite in the company, he's the rock star in the company. What final advice do you have on making all this happen? I'll start by saying that it has to ultimately start with what are the outcomes they're trying to deliver, I guess the outcome has to be around outcome to the shareholder, outcome to clients, outcome to employees, outcome to society, and making sure that you start from there rather than starting from where can we use this technology. The hammer searching for the nail is a bad way to go about it. Uh, start from the outcome. 
and then figure out the best place to really create big impact that actually other people can uh, look at and say, I want to follow that, I want to be as big, et cetera. But how do you choose the right project? Because so many companies say, oh, we'll do an AI project or a data science project, and you know, it's not the right, it's not going to change their business. Yeah, yeah so, so Michael, you know, we, we are learning as we've done this with a large number of customers, and there's a new learning that we are beginning to develop, and that learning is that Going after the big game-changing move, while it's ultimately the most interesting and right thing to do, may not be the right first thing to do. Because if you want quick wins, and you want people to say, wow, this is pretty cool, and not that difficult, then it may be better to grab smaller things that drive you know, small improvements that actually don't take away my job, and start that, and then layer on top of that the good news is that all of these technologies, cycle times are short to, to drive improvements. Uh, you can watch the improvement deliver results pretty quickly. The cost involved is not that much. And by the way, you'll have failures. If it fails, pull the plug and move on to the next one. So, so you have a portfolio of these. Start with the easy ones, small ones, create wins, and go to the big ones. What's the purpose of starting with small ones? Quick wins, show success fast. People lose patience and fatigue. Uh, the faster you show success, people say, yeah, this works. Bets are smaller to begin with. You're not trying to boil the ocean. And that's another big one. AI, machine learning, et cetera, are still new use cases and new sciences. There is a lot of experimentation. When you experiment, by definition, there's going to be failures. Uh, big visions that then lead to big failures, unfortunately, will lead to, I'm not going to try this anymore, which is tragic. So starting small, having some wins, that then ensures future success is, I think, a better way to go. But eventually, we all are reading about the hype that AI is going to change our yes. company. How do we get to that point? Or is it just hype? No, no, it's not hype at all. It is not hype at all. We've got enough examples in the pharma industry you know, with some of the patient safety areas, some of the areas around uh, safety in uh, engines, in preventive maintenance, in lending and the speed of lending and so on. So enough examples of complete game-changing moves. All I would say, Michael, is that create the vision for the game-changing move, and then say, okay, we all bought into the vision, but we're going to start here and prove the case. And let's put all our energies on this, which is smaller, more contained, and can deliver results fast. Then layer on top of that. So layering, and what I call version one, version two, version three, version four, 10 versions in a year is not a bad idea. So you need to have the clarity of having the vision of, of where are we going, what's yes. possible. The North Star is important. Why are we doing this in the long run is important. The size of the price being so big is important. The fact that this is game changing is important. But all I'm saying is, having agreed on that, I think jumping wholeheartedly into the big bang may not be the right one. A series of small banks may be better. And what can companies learn from your experience here with Envision Virgin Racing? I would say three things that, uh, that, that I would point out. Number one, getting talent that is diverse in the way they think, in the skills they bring, uh, in the language they initially use, which is very different. In our instance, often it'll be domain and process and data versus algorithms and software and so on. And then finding a way to make those teams work well together, which means it's leadership, so that's one. The second would be, you know, how do you create an ecosystem which is not just the team itself, but the team connects to other teams outside. Some inside the company, some outside the company. 
and driving that ecosystem. And the third is, uh, you know, how do you get the vision to be big enough to be change the game and really go after changing the game, but do it by first saying, I'm going to play faster, better at the current game and show that it works. So you're operating on both these levels. On the one hand, you need this very broad, expansive vision, but at the same time, you need a game plan that is incremental here, incremental yeah. there, yeah. small change. At high frequency change. So the high frequency change is a key. Yeah. These are not large ERP, SAP projects that takes two years, and after two years you realize, okay, how do we make this work? These are, okay, 90-day sprint, next 60-day sprint, another 90-day sprint, and that one. And finally, as we finish up, what about the notion of uh, culture change for organizations to adopt this willingness to experiment? Oh, no, Michael, you, you've just nailed it with that question itself and the word culture. In the end, if you were to force me to say what's the one thing that is the, that is the ultimate uh, secret sauce, it's culture. Uh, how do you get the culture to embrace this? How do you get the culture to actually become multilingual, bilingual? How do you get the teams to work together? How do you get the AI expert to be listened to by the risk expert rather than the risk expert saying, but you don't know underwriting. I've done it for 20 years. Don't tell me how to do this. And vice versa. How do you get the AI expert to say, move out, my algorithm is going to work. No, your algorithm is not going to work in my business. Understand my business. How do you create that culture? How do you create the culture of failure is okay, let's learn and move on. How do you create the culture of the technology is not the big thing here, it's actually what outcome are we trying to deliver? Because sometimes cool AI guys, cool technology guys are searching for the next place to use their new, next new toy. So it's all about culture, so therefore it all starts from the top. Tiger, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you. Pleasure talking to you. Likewise.